God. We pray for understanding as we consider the words of Hannah Gatsby when she said, diversity is a strength, diversity is a teacher, fear difference, you learn nothing. Help us to understand that diversity in interpretation and reinterpretation is a beautiful thing. It is a part of our story of seeking to understand your story. May we approach your word not just with diversity, but also with creativity and thoughtfulness and a sense of our great responsibility in being bearers of it. Amen. Okay, so this sermon was really difficult for me to write. I gave Aaron an earful because he asked the question. Uh, In fact, I wrote a couple of single-spaced pages and then threw it out and started over like half a dozen times, and I'm not exaggerating. I just really wanted to get this one right because I really believe that how we view Scripture has giant implications, especially because our tradition is the dominant religion of the culture we live in. In our context, the Christian faith is a marker of privilege And so how churches and people interpret this holy text matters. It holds weight. There's power here. And we must be mindful of this and and treat our interpretations with great care. So our question is about the authority of Scripture. What authority does the Bible have in our lives if we don't approach it the same way we once did? There was a time when many of us took scripture at face value based on what we had been taught about it by others. And there was also a time where many of us stopped doing that. We stopped seeing the words of the Bible as so black and white. We stopped believing that there was just one way to read and we began to wonder. We found freedom and biblical inspiration outside of literal interpretation. We discovered a deeper way to experience our beloved Bible apart from the way that we grew up reading it. If you have ever done this, if you have ever questioned the meaning of the words in scripture, if you have ever second-guessed applying them the same old way, even if just for a moment, I'm here to tell you, you're not crazy. You're not a heretic. You are simply a part of our tradition's history, a part of the chorus of the saints dating all the way back to the beginning of the Christian movement, whose picture of what the word of God is, what authority it has, how it should be applied has been ever evolving and transforming over time. But there's all this distance between us and what actually happened, how the Bible as we know it, our canon of scripture was formed. And based on where we are positioned, both in history and in time, and in in life, in society, this is going to affect our understanding of what we see and hear and take away from the stories of the Bible. The stories of scripture are living and active. They are 
God-breathed, they're alive, they're powerful. Their ability to prevail throughout history has proven this. But our understanding of what the Word of God means is extremely different than it was to people a millennia ago, or a century ago, or even a decade ago. Just as it's different depending on what culture you live in, it's different depending on what socioeconomic status you might have or context you might live in, and it's different as you read scripture, if you're a person of color or if you're a woman or, or if you're gay or, or if you're you know, Caucasian, like, it's going to be different to you based on your experiences. Our experiences as individuals and, and societies affect our interpretation. There's not just one, and even from the very beginning, there has never been universal agreement. You may think your way is the truth, but rest assured, there are many other groups who feel just the same and have all the theological arguments in their back pocket to back it up. When we talk about the authority of Scripture, things get tricky precisely because of interpretation. Some people say that the Holy Spirit divinely dictated word for word through the writers of the original autographs, which, by the way, no one has seen or has access to. People with this perspective will use words like inerrancy, meaning the Bible is without error in all matters. A word I have appreciated on my own journey is infallibility, and the idea that the Bible is unfailing as it pertains to Christian faith and, and practice. But the reality that cannot be denied, and isn't denied by any perspective, only attempted to explain, is that the Bible contains inconsistencies within itself no matter which way we look at it. The difference is whether or not you need the Bible to be perfect in order to be inspired. So for me, the Bible is the story of God, but it is also made up of human stories, and it is written by imperfect humans, and that's okay with me. I don't need the Bible to be all neat and tidy, to believe in its inspiration, and therefore its authority as I live out my faith in the world. I only need to believe that, as Greg Boyd said, the Bible is unfailing in all that God intends to use it for. And I do believe this. The Bible is God's story, and as followers of God, we are inheritors of this sacred story, and indeed we have a responsibility in how we approach it. Part of this responsibility includes understanding the purpose of the Bible, because understanding its purpose will help us as it pertains to the authority it has in our lives. The Bible is not a history book. It's not a science book. And that's all right. We don't need it to be those things to do what it needs to do. Rather, the Bible is our holy book about God. The Bible's purpose is to reveal to us the very presence of God in our lives and in the world so that we know what to do. We know how to be. We have inspiration to pray, guidance to follow the way of Jesus, a starting point to commune with God. When we can let go of the need for the Bible to be without error, historically or scientifically, we can read the Bible in deeper, more fulfilling ways. A whole new world of the text becomes known to us as we consider another part of our responsibility as inheritors of God's written word, which is to read the Bible with context 
and creativity in mind. Understand that there are layers upon layers of editing involved with each text. Understand that books are not necessarily in chronological order. Understand the intricacies, the overlap between the differences and, and the original audiences intended in the gospel stories. Understand that there are countless genres and styles included in scripture, ranging from poetry to narrative to law to song to prophecy or apocalyptic work and more. Leave room for these styles because they each have something to teach us. Leave room for creativity as God is revealed through these stories again and again in different times and different ways throughout the various seasons of your life. Leave room for mystery and grant it space in your faith journey because there is no authentic faith journey without it. And consider the three worlds. This is a reference to Howard and Young's an Introduction to the Bible, if you're interested, looking it up later. Um, but consider the three worlds when you're reading the Bible. The world behind the text invites us to think about the context, what social political, ethnic, and economic realities are peculiar to that place and time, and how are they playing out in the story that you're reading. The world of the text asks us to consider the structure of the text itself, the writer, the date, the setting around the book, the audience, etc. And then the world in front of the text reminds us that these are not simply stories from the past. They are sacred word, and they can speak to all times and all people when we are listening responsibly. The Bible has the right, because of this, to have some authority over our lives as Christians, but just like most things of God, there's truth to be wrestled with here about what that really means, which requires work on each of our parts. And so with this in mind, another way to approach scripture is by understanding the complex history of the canon's creation. When Jesus ascended into heaven and the Holy Spirit descended onto the people at Pentecost, we were given this, this marker in time to understand the, the beginning of the early church. But it would be 400 years, 400 years, until anything even faintly resembling our understanding of the modern Bible would come to be with the translation of the Vulgate from the Latin translation. This was the body of text that pretty much settled the canon, at least in the West. Then the East had like hundreds of years to go, so see what I mean? The point here is that the early church, this beautiful grassroots movement of Jesus followers, operated without the Bible as we know it for hundreds of years. Their scripture was made up of all different kinds of, of readings. It depended on the community you were in. There were the Masoretic texts of the Hebrew books. There was the Septuagint, so the Greek translation of the Old Testament. There were readings that almost made it into the Bible, but didn't just quite make the cut. I mean, there were all kinds of readings floating around uh, letters and, and books. The early church didn't have a single cohesive shared document for hundreds of years, and they survived. They thrived even. God still worked. The movement stuck. What Jesus did, who Jesus was, was powerful enough. Now that, to me, is inspiration. And ever since then, we have been trying to fathom this, this walking, talking inspiration, this living word. We've been trying to grasp at it and contain it, but God is too wonderful, too big to be contained, right? Right? As Christians, the Bible is our primary tool for understanding God's story, for following the life of Jesus. 
But God is also bigger than the Bible. God is so big and so great that our understanding of what the Bible says continues to reveal itself to our world more deeply over time. And God reveals God's self to us through the stories of the Bible, but also through many other modes as well. And this shouldn't be scary to us. Instead, that God could be known in, in creation, for example, and the flowers and the trees and the wave of the branches when the wind blows or in every sunrise and every sunset should be extremely comforting to us. I mean, God is in our morning run, if you take one, your morning tea or cup of coffee. God is in every gift you've ever been given and every hardship you've ever experienced. God goes with you down to the greatest depths and celebrates your greatest triumphs and God can be read in between the lines of other books we have found sacred in our lives. God can be seen in the eyes of the vulnerable and heard in the words of our loved ones, and God can be tasted every Sunday as we share communion together, but also in every meal, our daily bread. God can be known in so many ways, and the Bible's role should be to help us understand this. Scripture guides our faith tradition, and there is power in that. There's authority in it, the very breath of God in it. But limiting ourselves to divine encounters through the Bible alone and via interpretation we have given little to no thought to ourselves only limits God in our lives. We should be mindful of this. We should be careful not to let these potential limitations get in the way of our own listening to God and the story of God we receive through Holy Scripture. And there's one other caveat that I think is important to mention when we consider the authority of the Bible. We should approach it with discernment as we recognize even within it the brokenness of the human condition. Because the truth is, is that evil is often perpetuated within the very pages of Scripture. Within our holy text, we see violence and justice and corruption take place in terms of power structures. The Bible's written amidst patriarchy and racism and classism, just like we see experienced today. We see countless instances of toxic masculinity, including misogyny and rape and abuse. We read about slavery as a normal part of society, and over and over again, we watch as religious leaders attempt to use the law, which is to say the word of God as they understood it in their time, as a weapon for maintaining control over the vulnerable. Just because these things are included in Holy Scripture doesn't make them right. It doesn't make what we know to be broken now good. It doesn't make things like racism or sexism or homophobia God-ordained, and it certainly doesn't mean we are bound to operating under those systems today. I fear that reading and interpreting the Bible literally has perpetuated evil in our world for far too long. It has created actual harm in society and has caused real suffering to the vulnerable, the people on the margins. It has been a way for the powers that be to validate and sustain institutionalized oppression. It has been used as a tool to uphold corruption. And because of this, it has kept so many people from truly knowing the love of God. Long ago, there was a great deal of time in which everyday kind of people didn't even have access to the Bible. They had to trust those in authority to interpret scripture for them. And unfortunately, a lot of faith leaders and political leaders took advantage of this, but we are living in different times. We have 
the word of God right at our fingertips. And we are empowered as the priesthood of believers to read and interpret it for ourselves. And when we come before it with responsibility and discernment and humility, we will discover with confidence that not only do we not like everything it says, but we don't have to like everything it says. We don't have to like everyone. We don't have to learn from the good they've done if they haven't done good. We don't have to explain the Bible as a guide for raising a godly family when more often than not, it's the opposite. It's what not to do. Our lectionary reading this morning is an excellent example of this. It's uh, the one in uh, Samuel. I was, I was enjoying wondering what everyone was interpreting when they were listening to that. But um, it's the story of David as it relates to the wife of Uriah. Now, David may have been a good king and a powerful leader, and, and he may even have loved God, but David was an abuser of power and of people. He abused his power when he took the wife he wanted, raped her, sloppily tried to cover up her pregnancy, and then killed her husband when his plans didn't succeed. He abused his power. He didn't seem to think he had anyone to answer for it, and we don't have to like that. We don't have to try and explain our discomfort when reading these kinds of stories. We are supposed to feel uncomfortable. And just as Nathan, the prophet in this story, was called to speak truth to power, just as Nathan was called to shed light on evil and call it out despite the risk it posed to him, we are also called to, to shed light on evil, whether, whether it's in our lives or in our society or even in the pages of our sacred text. This is our responsibility as bearers of God's story, which is the story of goodness and of love and beauty and grace and peace, all embodied through the life of the one we follow, Jesus. I went to seminary because I wanted to follow Jesus in a more deeply committed kind of vocational way, and I wanted to somehow be a person of God in the world, though I didn't really know how at the time. But if I'm honest, there was a huge part of me that went to seminary simply because I wanted answers to all my questions. And spoiler alert, all I got in terms of answers was a hell of a lot more questions. And don't get me wrong, I loved my time there. I'm so glad I went. It shaped me, it brought me here. I would go back in an instant if I could. But seminary is a, is a place that I had to heal from. These questions we are covering in this series have reminded me of my time in seminary. They're, they've mostly been theological in nature, and that can be interesting. They can make for deep discussions that lead to growth. But if you came for answers, you won't get them here, at least in the traditional sense. And if you're getting them in black and white from other faith leaders, it's time to keep asking questions. In all honesty, I don't, I don't mean to answer this question or any question for you. I, I really am just trying to provide information and tools so that you can think it through on your own, these questions and other faith questions, using your own capacity to think and your own conscience and your own context and your own life. My intention is not to answer the question of what authority Scripture has over your life for you, but I will give you some advice. Don't lean too heavily on theology. Use it to enrich your searching, use it to inform your questioning, use it to shape your experience, but don't use it to define your faith. It's important, it has a part to play, but it's information. 
first and foremost. It's philosophical in nature, and it means nothing without experience or tradition, which only means the documentation of lots of experiences. It's powerless without stories to back it up, without people, without spirit. Without these things, theology is just a bunch of words, and these words aren't ever going to be able to completely answer all your burning questions of your faith, believe me. It's called faith for a reason, and there is no amount of theological information that can cushion the fall of the realization that at the end of the day, we must accept a fair amount of uncertainty and mystery if we're going to follow Jesus. I had to recover from seminary. There are other seminarians in here. Raise your hand if you feel the same. <laughs> they all raise their hands, and there's a lot of them. I had to heal from it. And unsurprisingly, my theology books didn't help me. Only time and the very spirit of God, part of which I encountered in my own reading of scripture and interpretation of scripture, could do the job. The acceptance of mystery as beautiful and uncertainty as a marker of a full faith filled with holy wrestling is ultimately what healed me from the illusion that theological thought could, in and of itself, fill in the gaps of my faith. So, this is my prayer for us, a small but mighty community of believers, that we would keep searching, keep questioning, keep pushing against bad theology, harmful interpretation, that we would keep wrestling, but that we don't lose sight of our actual experience of God while we do it. That in the prophetic words of Matt Hanzelka over a year ago, we don't get so good at talking about God that we forget to talk to God. For the sake of our children and our society and our world, I pray we would find a healthy, holy balance of both. Amen? Amen.